Amen. Hey, if you would join me in your Bible in Matthew 25, that's going to be our passage of Scripture this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew. I'd love for you to follow along with us as we look to this passage. We're going to read through these verses, see what uh, Scripture has to say to us. As we've mentioned, today is a special day. Today marks the 40th anniversary of our church. Um, and what that means is, it isn't that 40 years ago we started. 40 years ago, on the first Sunday of November in 1982, we formally organized with membership and came out from under the direct uh, oversight of the missions board. So previous to that day, for a few years, Faith Church had met originally as New Life Rural Baptist Church in Newburgh, then came to Chandler, became Faith Rural Baptist Church, and that name change. And God had worked, and they came to this point where they formally organized. And to celebrate God's faithfulness up to that point already, uh, they began to celebrate every year on the anniversary. Sometimes, uh, when we've had this celebration, it's been a big blowout. And we've invited every person that we can connect with. When I first came here as pastor and our founding pastor, Robert Helms, had resigned, we tried to connect with anybody who used to belong to Faith Church who lived in other places, and they, they traveled here, some of them from as far away as Texas, to be here on that day. And it didn't go quite as planned because in the middle of the night, the night before, there was a tornado that came through in 2005. Some of you uh, remember that. And so, been some years we've tried to encourage people to come from, from all over. Been years that we've, we're going to feed a big meal. We're going to have a big meal. We're going to invite everybody to come and have. We're not doing that this year, not sorry. Um, but people would come and they would be people that we didn't see them at all, except for on that day, man, they were here because they knew June was going to cook those chicken and dumplings, you know. And I'd run into them in the community and be like, hey, when, when are you guys having that again, you know? I'm like, all right, we're not running a restaurant here, okay. Um, you probably had some birthdays like that, right? You probably had some birthdays where it's invite all of your friends and family, invite, invite everybody. You probably had some birthdays where it's just your immediate family or your closest friends. Uh, when I turned 30, Nicole threw a, a big party, invited just about anybody that I knew. And she asked me if she could do the same thing for my 40th, and I was like, no. Um, and I don't think I gave her like a, a very clear reason on that. But what I what I wanted instead was nah, not not a big party with a whole bunch of people that just kind of know me. Maybe just those that are really close, those that are in my family. And I think that's how this 40th anniversary is being celebrated. We didn't send out a whole bunch of invitations. We felt like this was a Sunday for us to take stock uh, and and ask the Lord what it is that He is doing in us? What is it that he is desiring to accomplish in us? What is it that he wants to do for us next? I want us to, to talk this morning about looking forward. And many anniversary Sundays, we have looked back and we've put together montages of, of photos and we've done interviews of people who were, were here in the beginning and, and, and we've done that in, in previous years. And I'm not saying that was wrong. I'm not saying we won't do it again. But this year, I want us to look forward. I want us to look to the future. And I believe that our text today will help us do just that. 
Because Matthew chapter 24, the passage that comes right before this one, Jesus tells the disciples about all the things that will happen one day. He gives them this glimpse of the end of days. And if you want to get a little freaked out and terrified, you read Matthew 24 later. Because it's, it's scary. It's serious. And when the disciples, when they hear about what's coming one day, they, like all of us, want more clarity. And there are dozens and dozens, hundreds really, of books that are written about the things in Matthew 24 and how exactly they'll happen and when we can know the signs and how we'll know exactly when Jesus is coming. And apparently they didn't read the next words because the disciples are asking Jesus, how will we know? And Jesus says, no man knows. The day or the hour when the Son of Man will return. And then he tells them two stories. Two stories of how they can be prepared for that day. And the first story is about a wedding party. How many of you have ever been in a wedding party, right? Like your friend is getting married and now you're on the hook to buy clothes and go to this thing, right? And there's a lot of preparation that goes into a wedding. And... I've been part of some weddings that the wedding time came and the wedding party was not ready. And Jesus tells the story that there's a wedding party that they're prepared for when the groom comes and the wedding start. And then there's a wedding party that they're not ready. But in this instance, the, the groom that comes is Jesus. Now, every wedding I've been a part of, it doesn't care what the groom says. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when the groom's ready, Right? matters when the bride's ready. Well, this groom is Jesus. And when he shows up, we all better be ready. If you're here this morning and you're not ready for Jesus's return, I hope that you will be ready before the end of this day. But Jesus tells that story to tell the disciples, you must be ready when I return. But then he tells a second story. Because he, he wants the disciples not only to think of themselves, okay, i got to be ready for Jesus' return. He wants them to be thinking about what they should do. A couple times that I've been a part of a wedding party, you get really dressed up because they got to take pictures, right? And you're in this uncomfortable tuxedo that isn't even yours, right? And you're trying not to think about the last person that wore it and how sweaty they were, right? And you're wearing this tie, this bow tie and this cummerbund and vest, right? And it's just uncomfortable and you've got to sit around and wait and wait and wait. And I've killed a whole lot of time as part of a wedding party just waiting. Jesus doesn't want the disciples to just kill time. He wants them to be ready for his return, but they're not to just kill time. And so Jesus ends the first story in verse 13. And then he immediately goes into a second. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. He's saying, you better be ready because you don't know when I'm going to arrive. But he immediately starts another story. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. Now, Jesus has just told the disciples that he's leaving and coming back one day. So it's pretty obvious that he's the master who's going to go on this journey and come back. And here, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. This is Jesus who calls his servants. That's the disciples. 
Not just those guys that were there. Not just the 120 men and women who were part of his first gathering, the first church, but every disciple who would follow Jesus. That's us. We are the servants in this story. Place yourself in this story if you follow Jesus because this is, this is about you and for you. Called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And there's something very key in this first verse of the story. It wasn't their property. It was his. He delivered his goods to them. He was entrusting it to them. This is called stewardship. So when some, someone puts something in your hands, it doesn't belong to you, but they're entrusting you with it. Believers, disciples, hear me. Everything we have is really the Lord's. He has entrusted it to us. And so today, as we celebrate this 40th anniversary of the formal organization of our church, by the way, that's the moment that there was a mission board that started our church, that had oversight of our church, who had oversight of our pastor. They handed that oversight from, from their board to our membership. And for 40 years, the, the organization and the decision-making and the ministry of this church has been in the hands of these members here. Right? It, it, the decisions aren't made by some organization elsewhere. We belong to the Free Will Baptist Association, but they don't tell us what to do. They entrust us, and we have this opportunity to lead and to minister here. It's been in our hands, but it doesn't belong to us, and it didn't belong to them. It's only the Lord's. He delivered this to us. And listen, there were some faithful people who helped this church be started and faithful people who have shepherded it up to this point, faithful people who gave, who served, but it was never theirs either. And it's not ours now. It's not mine. I remember I was, was walking out of church one Sunday afternoon, just about everybody was gone, and there was a little boy playing on the playground, and he said, are you the guy that owns the church? And I said, no. He said, well, who's the guy that owns the church? And I went, him and he was like really confused then you know <laughs> it's not mine doesn't belong to me it's his we have been given stewardship he's placed it in our hands something someone places something in your hands they're entrusting you with it that's that's a major responsibility it's a major responsibility God's entrusted us with a major responsibility. The master delivers his goods to them. Listen, what, what God has given us is not only good, it's his goods. It's his. So Jesus tells his disciples that he's like this master. He's telling them that he's placing something in their hands. Now, they're wanting to know, how do we know what's going to happen in the future? They're trying to look ahead. They're trying to figure out, what do we do in these days when these things come? And Jesus' response to them is, I'm putting something in your hand. You just be faithful with what I've put in your hand. And I'm coming back from my journey one day. I'm that master that's going to return one day. You be faithful with what I'm giving you. Jesus is telling the disciples, don't be so worried about what's coming next and when it's going to happen. Just make sure you're faithful with what I've given you now. 
today, what's in your hands right now. Now, I think when we get into this next section here, people get a little confused because Jesus uses the word talent. And when we think of talent, we think of the people who just led us in singing, right? They've got talent. They've got musical ability. But that's not what, that's not what Jesus is speaking of. He says that he gives them each talents, but it's not their intrinsic abilities. It's a word for a unit of money. Just like you and I, might, we might refer to $1,000 as a grand, right? How much does he want for that car? Nine grand. Can you believe that? 9000 The word talent here is a unit of money. And so the next verse we're going to look at, it clarifies this for us. It makes it clear. Verse 15, And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own what? Ability. He wasn't giving them abilities. He was giving them a measure of money based on their abilities. And immediately he went on a journey. Now you and I know that our abilities play a major role in the opportunities that we have. But what Jesus is speaking about here is not just ability. He's speaking about the whole opportunity. He's talking about the whole thing. And so what God's blessed you with, it's not just your abilities or your talents, your gifts, your intrinsic, natural gifting. It's the background you have and the life you were blessed to be born into and the people God has put into your life. It's all the opportunities that he has given you. So the picture here is the master is gone and he wants his servants to be faithful with what he's entrusted them with. But before he leaves, he, he's, he's smart about it. He doesn't just give away his money to whoever. He looks at his servants and he gives them a measure according to their abilities. So that means he looks at this one guy and he says, you know what, this guy, he's, he's pretty sharp and he's a big thinker. I think that if I gave him five grand or five talents or five units of money, I think he could probably do a lot with it. I'm going to entrust five to him. Then he looks at the next servant and he says, you know what, he's a hard worker. And he always shows up. He always does his job. He's not as big a thinker as the other guy, though. So he probably wouldn't really know what to do with five grand. But I'm going to give him two. I'm going to see what he can do with two. And then he comes to the third guy. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I think maybe the third guy was like his nephew or like his old buddy's friend, you know. And he didn't really want to give him anything, but he felt like he had to give him something, you know. And like the guy came in late and was like, oh, I thought we were meeting earlier or later. Oh, I didn't get your text message. I don't know what happened, right? And the guy's like, ah, um, just give him one. Just one. And by the way, when we read this and we think about this master awarding this money to those who have abilities, we'll be tempted to think about this just in the way that the world does. Because that's basically what I just did, right? But know that when the Lord looks at us, he doesn't look at us the same way that a job interviewer might or a banker determining a loan might. He sees us differently. Because if we're honest, 
None of us deserve anything that he's given us. But he's seen in us this opportunity and potential. Now, I, I bring this up all the time because I love this book. I love the book Moneyball. And it's all about how the Oakland Athletics, they were the brokest, poorest team in baseball. And they, they won because they looked for the players that nobody else would look at. They found the talent where nobody else would see it. And I think it's such a good picture of what the Lord does because he sees potential in us that nobody else sees. And Jesus is telling this story to who? He's telling the story to Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, guys who just a couple of years previously, they weren't leading synagogues. They weren't the, the theological doctors. They were fishermen. The one that did have some, some, some skill and training in the ways of the world was corrupt, right? He's using a group of guys that nobody else would have given opportunity to. And he gives them opportunity. And then Scripture tells us what they did with that opportunity. Verse 16 says, Then he who had received five talents went and traded them, and made another five talents. And likewise, he who received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And listen, there is a lot in verse 19 that we could talk about. The Lord of those servants came and settled accounts. Verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So the five-talent guy, he doubled. He doubled the investment. That's pretty good, right? Anybody getting that on their 401k right now? No, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have brought it up, right? Your 401k is not doubling. Might be having, right? This guy, he does something pretty incredible. He doubles the investment. It doesn't tell us what he did. Maybe he chartered a ship and bought a lot of goods there in the, the local area, and then he took those goods on a ship and traded them in a place that was far off and got better things and came back and sold them for a ransom. Then the guy with two talents, he comes. Passage tells us that he had gained two more talents. Now, this is, this is, again, a great percentage. He doubles it. It's not five more, but it's two more, and he only started with two. I don't know what this guy did. Maybe he went and he bought a field and he bought some seed. And for every season that the master was gone, he, he planted a seed and he raised the crops and he sold them, except for enough seed to plant again, and he gained enough money over that time to pay back his master 100% on his investment. Maybe he, he went and he bought some oxen and he started a service business where he went and he plowed fields for people that didn't have their own oxen. Probably wasn't as big of a, a, an idea or a plan as the other guy, but he did his work and he earned back the master's money. Listen, I want you to see something here. When the master calls the servant who only received two talents, he is pleased that he has been faithful with what he's given. He does not expect him to bring about the same returns 
as the guy with five. God has given you a calling and an opportunity in life, and he's not holding you accountable to someone else's standard. He's not expecting you to do what someone else did. He's not expecting you to be like everybody else. He just wants you to be faithful with what you're given and blessed with. And listen, in a culture that is constantly comparing everyone at this ridiculous standard, this is freeing. God hasn't called me to be someone else. He's just called me to be faithful with what he's given me. God's going to hold me to account for the gifts he's given me. That's freeing, but it's also a little terrifying. Because that means if that means if I, if I was just happened to be blessed, that God gave me more, that those who were given much are expected much. And, and I know that you might not think it right now. Everyone in this room is blessed much. Everyone in this room. Every one of us has been given an incredible opportunity. You live in the freest nation in the world. I don't worry about anybody here not having something to eat this afternoon. We have so many things that are in our favor. God has blessed us. Now listen, there are people who were born on third and think they hit a triple, and God's going to ask them, listen, you were born on third and you're still on third. What's going on? You've done nothing with the opportunities that I gave you. There are people who are born with every advantage in life. They've never lacked for anything, and God is going to expect them to deploy those resources and benefits that have been given to them for the kingdom. Now, because they started with five talents, they think, man, I'm doing so much better than that one talent guy. And they do nothing with it. But then we come to the third guy. Verse 24 says, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here it is. Here's what's yours. And the Lord answered him and said, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have at least received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But him, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be reaching, reaping and gnashing of teeth. I really want you to get a hold of this. This is the point of my message here. The unfaithful servant had the wrong picture of his master. He had bad theology. He says, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you haven't sown, and I was scared of you. Spurgeon preaching on this text said, any believer who has known the grace of God when they read this text, they do not recognize Jesus in it. Because Jesus does not reap where he hasn't sown. Jesus is not harsh, he is gracious. 
But if we live with this idea that our master, our father, our Lord is harsh, unkind, unfair, then we will act like this unprofitable servant did. We will live out of fear. You know what he says? He says, I was afraid of you. And so I hid it in the ground. Now, now this is important because if you look at the previous chapter in and, and Matthew 24, there is this, this verse in, in, in Matthew 24 and verse 46, I think it is, where it says, Blessed is he who, who when the master returns finds his servant working. And it's talking about when the master comes back, you, you need to have been faithful with what he give, was given you. But I heard that when I was a kid, preached like, boy, Jesus comes back and you're goofing off, you are in trouble. And like my family took me to an amusement park and I was like, man, I hope Jesus does not come back today. <laughs> Jesus comes back and I'm riding a roller coaster. That's it. I'm done for. Jesus comes back and I'm taking a nap. And, and we have this idea like, man, I got to be working all the time. Because Jesus is a harsh master, and if he, he finds me doing something I'm not supposed to be doing, I am in trouble. That is not it at all, friends. That's bad theology. That's not who Jesus is. In verse 26, the master repeats back to him what he says. The English Standard Version actually puts a question mark here because it's the master saying, Really? I'm a harsh master? Really? I, I reap where I haven't sown? First of all, that makes no sense. Second of all, if that is me, you should have at least got an interest on this. What you're doing makes no sense. You're trying to justify what you've done by making me out to be the bad guy. And that's not who I am. I gave you opportunity that wasn't deserved, that you weren't owed. I gave it to you. And you have squandered it. If our theology is that God is harsh and cruel and takes and takes and takes, our service will all be backwards. We will live serving God out of fear and obligation. But Jesus is not a master who's harsh. He's a master who expects faithfulness, and that's not harsh. This passage is, being, is about being faithful with the opportunity that he has given you. And what does he say to the faithful servants when the master returns? What does he say to the faithful servants? Yes, give me my ten talents, now back to the salt mines. No, he says, well done. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Jesus is telling them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare your reward. And he's not coming back in this demanding, harsh way. He's coming back to welcome us into his presence. He's not a harsh master. If you think of him as harsh, one day when he comes back and he says, what did you do with what I blessed you with? You'll say, listen, Lord, I know you to be a holy God. I know you to be a God who wants everyone to do right. So I have done everything right. And I have always been careful and conservative. That's not what God's looking for. What God is looking for is for us to live lives that are different because he has blessed us with grace, but also we take the gift that we have been given and we use it to bless others. Because Jesus is not coming back looking for a return on his 401k. That's not what matters to him. That's not what is important to him. You know what the investment is that Jesus is looking for? He tells us in this chapter. 
You look down to the rest of chapter 25, and he talks about in that last day, separating the sheep from the goats. Separating the saved from the unsaved. Separating the believer from the unbeliever. And he says, and in that day, people will say to me, why? Why have I been put into this category? And Jesus says, because when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. And when I was naked, you clothed me. And they'll say, Jesus, when, when did we do any of those things to you? And I will say, when you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. What's the investment that Jesus is looking for a return on? He's looking for a return on his investment of pushing back the darkness. He's looking for an investment, a return on his investment of grace. That the grace that has been poured into our lives will be poured into the lives of others. That just as God has been so good to give us what we do not deserve, that we would turn around and be generous with that grace to those around us. That they might know the Jesus that we know. You know how we know this is the case? Because that's what the disciples did. These disciples that we would say are faithful when Jesus leaves. In the meantime, while he's gone, until he returns, what do they do? They invested in sharing the gospel with others and building his church. They made big efforts and they made big bets for the kingdom. They risked everything, including their own lives, so that other people might know God's grace. That's what they did. Friends, we stand here today incredibly blessed. And one day the master will return. What will we do with what he has blessed us with? We stand here upon the shoulders of investment, upon the shoulders of effort and work of people behind us for 40 years, behind them 2,000 years, behind them the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. We have been blessed beyond measure. What will we do with the grace that has been poured into our lives? Have we been about the work that faithful servants are about? You know, my kids don't know it yet, but they're quickly approaching the time where I pass the mantle of mowing the grass onto them. <laughs> and I'm excited. I want you to imagine that I, I go into the office one day and I say, listen, guys, I need you to, I need you to mow the grass today. I say, all right, Dad. And around 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I, I call to, to see if they've done the work. And they say, Dad, listen you are not going to believe this world we built on Minecraft. It is incredible. Like, it's amazing. You know, I might, I might come home and I might, I might be impressed by what they did on the video game. I might be. But I'm going to say, did you do that after you mowed the grass? No. I asked you to do one thing. I, I want you to be about that thing. Listen, there's a lot of things that Faith Church could be about. There's one thing. There's one thing the Master has asked us to be about. He's told us to be about. It's the reason this church was started 40 years ago. Robert Helms felt called to start a church to reach the people in the community where he grew up with the gospel. That's the reason we exist. 
And a lot has changed in the last 40 years, and a lot has changed in the last four years, but one thing remains unchanged. We are about the gospel, sharing the gospel with this community. And that is what the faithful, profitable servants are about. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. What's beautiful about the gospel is that it comes to us just as we are. And whether you're a five-talent, two-talent, one-talent person, God has given you grace and opportunity. And even though your life was, is a mess, God gives you grace and the opportunity to be involved in his kingdom. And Faith Church, over the last four decades, has been built in and through the lives of ordinary, broken, regular people. Because God has made the difference in them. How do we build the church? Our friends and neighbors will join and our children will lead. We build it by God changing us, coming to him just as we are and experiencing his gospel and grace in our lives. Let's be faithful with that blessing. Lord, I ask that you'd work in our hearts in this moment, that we would be moved at what it is that you have done for us, that you have placed this opportunity in our hands, that your grace, your gospel has been been poured into our lives, that we have been entrusted with it, Lord, that we have been blessed to have this opportunity to serve you, to make a difference here. And Lord, I don't know why, I don't know what all of the reasoning is that you had in placing us here in this moment and calling this group of broken people together, but I know that you have a purpose in it, and I pray that we would be faithful with what you have blessed us with. May we be about the mission. May we look forward to the future and decide that we will do whatever equips, whatever transforms, whatever it is that will bring more and more people into your kingdom and will push back the darkness here. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to remain in this spirit of prayer and we're going to sing this.